I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, November 1st, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Okay, so Jay, Taylor Swift's new album, Midnight's, sold 1.58 million copies in its first week, the most of any album since Adele's 25. Now, over 575,000 copies of vinyl were sold, and that's a modern era record. So I guess, Jay, there's a lot of people listening to Midnight's. What did you think about the album? I am listening to Midnight's as well, uh, not just because I have a 12-year-old daughter, although I do. It's fine. Like, I don't think it breaks any new Taylor Swift ground, which I was kind of hoping for. It was much anticipated, as you know. I know at least one person that stayed up till midnight to actually download it or listen to it on the 21st. It's fine. It's not a rave review. It's fine. I much prefer Adele's 25, but what do you think? I think it's pretty good. I think it's got a couple bops on it, a couple bangers. You, yeah, you want to see Taylor Swift progress. You want to see some momentum, and you think it's too similar to past albums. That's possibly because the producer of it, Jack Antonoff, has uh, many other Taylor Swift songs and albums. Yes, and he has he's got a thing. He's got okay. a... He's got a repertoire. Jay, I'm going to cut you off right there because I, I I think we've done enough offending of Taylor Swift fans for today. I know we're going to hear about it. I, I, it's going to tank the rain. It's going to take the ratings. And so I want us to cool off. I thought it was a pretty good album. I actually enjoyed it probably more so than Jay did. But that's OK. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion about Midnight's. And I think, you know, we're all we're all OK with that. We're all OK with it. Brett, aside from our respective opinions about Taylor Swift's new album, what do we have for Peak Bells today? For our first story, China is still locking cities down. For our second story, Canadians are starting to feel the economic crunch. And for our last story, is alcohol recession-proof? For our first story, from squashing presidential term limits to picking fights with Taiwan, a lot is going on in China these days, so much so that we almost forgot about the zero COVID crackdowns. Brett, what's the latest on China's seemingly never-ending crackdowns as it relates to COVID? So Chinese cities from Wuhan in the country's center to Xining in the northwest are stepping up COVID restrictions, closing off buildings, and shutting down districts. Heck, they even closed at Disney Resort with visitors still inside yesterday. Yikes. Residents in impacted areas must stay at home, but some companies and factories can remain open as long as employees stay on site, which is called closed loop. Now, deteriorating conditions during a lockdown at the world's largest iPhone factory triggered hundreds of employees to try and escape on foot over the weekend. That's not good. And all this matters because despite the mounting social and economic costs of lockdowns, quarantines and mass testing, China's continued enforcement of zero COVID policy has been justified by a greater fear of illnesses from variants, which have started to take shape in the West. So-called long COVID, which scientists still don't know much about, also comes at a high cost. Per Sun Life, it's happening more than you think. And in terms of the impact on the labor force can lead to productivity issues, absences, and even long-term disability claims. In Canada, just about 4% of the population, or about 1.4 million people, reported symptoms three months after catching COVID, often reflecting the severity of the first infection. Even without an agreed-upon definition for this condition, of those with long COVID, Health Canada says 10% can't return to work in the long term. That's years too indefinitely. And to zoom out, the true cost of COVID might only become known around the time that we have to explain the 2020 pandemic to kids who don't even exist yet. But while other economies start to bounce back, kind of, China and its 1.4 billion residents are feeling the pain still right now. Our second story, Canadians are starting to feel the economic crunch as the Bank of Canada continues to try and combat inflation that's more stubborn than a toddler before nap time. Jay, how's inflation affecting everyday Canadians like you and I? 
Well, almost half of the respondents to Bloomberg's weekly consumer confidence survey said their finances have worsened in the past year, the most ever recorded, and over two-thirds expect the economy to crumble in about six months. That isn't surprising given that $900 billion in household wealth evaporated in the second quarter of this year. We talked about this in a few episodes ago, mostly thanks to a rapid depreciation in the value of homes. Some homeowners that have lost wealth are also struggling to pay their mortgages, and renters aren't doing much better, paying an average of over $2,000 nationwide. Meanwhile, 20% of Canadians have reported skipping meals to save money amidst financial distress, and more Canadians than ever are resorting to food banks. Small businesses are also experiencing the lowest confidence levels since the early pandemic as they battle debt racked over the past two years per the CFIB. And here's why this matters. Interest rate hikes are going to continue. It feels more pressing than ever that they actually do bring down inflation as more and more households begin to fall behind. For our third story, no matter what's happening in the economy, see previous story, a stiff drink never goes out of fashion, apparently. You know, there's nothing better than listening to an episode of the Peak Daily and sipping on some Tennessee bourbon. Am I right, Jay? At, no, at 9 a.m. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. Now that you've outed me for drinking during the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, a, it, was a, it was an open secret. And to prove the thesis that, re- that alcohol may be recession-proof, Italian alcohol giant Campari paid $600 million for a 75% stake in bourbon whiskey maker Wilderness Trail to expand its reach in the booming whiskey market. It's happening because as the economy tanks and consumers pull back on spending, whiskey has remained as resilient as ever, with producers struggling to meet the surge in new demand. Scotland, the world's largest whiskey producer, bolstered the UK economy with sales that accounted for 22% of all its food and drink exports last year. Meanwhile, Ireland exported 168 million bottles globally. That's a record for the country. In Canada, demand for Canada-made whiskey is also projected to grow by 3.6% per year from 2021 to 2025, which could potentially outpace supply, lifted up by the interest of younger drinkers, expanded markets, particularly in China, and better advertising campaigns. And it matters because though Canada's top eight whiskey producers are foreign-owned, including Crown Royal and Canadian Club, whiskey is Canada's number one alcoholic beverage export and supports the economy by using Canadian grain and aging it in Canada. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to podcast in Canada, business news podcast in Canada, Jay. Someday we'll be the most listened to. Well, I can't wait to change that line to say we're the most listened to podcast in Canada. And if you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review? And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. As always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for producing this episode. We flipped up the script here, Jay, but thank you. And thank you, Peak Pals. And we hope you have a great rest of the week. And, and we hope you had a great Halloween, too. I am munching on Snickers. Snickers.